0: We're in John chapter 6, and we'll begin reading with verse 22. And of course, this whole section here has to do with Jesus, the bread of life, but we'll be just looking at the uh, first uh, few verses here, verse 22 to 29 this afternoon, and next week we'll go on to uh, the second portion of it. The day following, when the people stood on the other side of the sea that there was no other boat there, excuse me, on the other side of the sea, that there was no other boat there except that one into which his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with them into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Nevertheless, there came other boats from Tiberias, neither unto the place where they did eat bread, after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took boats and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou here? Jesus answered them, and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the food which perisheth, but for that food which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work? the works of God. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do give thanks to you for your word and pray, Lord, that you will minister to our hearts in faith and by the Spirit of God and that you will bless us in our walk of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at this passage, we just want to look at it briefly under the sense of lessons on the work of faith. And uh, though that might sound contradictory to other passages, such as when we read in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, uh, yet we find that Jesus even uses uh, this sense of what it means to trust in God, calling it a work of God by faith. And so we want to look at that a little bit um, this afternoon. And so, um, first of all, the people came seeking Jesus, and we know that the multitude of people from uh, the period when Jesus did, he, uh, did feed the 5,000, um, after that the disciples traveled to further, Um, northwest if you will Um, and we find that Jesus came walking to them on the water, they being in a boat and being very much afraid because of the great wind and tempest which which, uh, threatened their little craft. We find that Jesus uh, meets them, he enters the boat and immediately they are on the land, the dry land. And they are safe and secure. And also we find that uh, the multitude that, that uh, had witnessed uh, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, uh, many of them also took boat and came to the other side. Uh, they not realizing just where Jesus went to or how that he might have gotten out of that particular area. But we find that they uh, find him there in Capernaum. And uh, as he is in Capernaum, uh, he ministers in the synagogue, and they question him, and he says, uh, you only seek me because you were filled. Uh, of course, the, the great desire of the Lord was that the those who had witnessed the miracle might realize that he was truly the Christ, the Son of God. But instead, they did not. They rather came following him because they received the food, which was a temporary um, thing in their lives, but yet one that they felt um, maybe he might do again. And and so he tells them that uh, they were not seeking him for the right reason. Uh, And then thirdly, we find that uh, he tells them to labor for the food unto eternal life and not for the food that perishes And so at the end of this brief section here, um, he uses food as a metaphor to say you ought to be seeking spiritual life, spiritual food. You ought to be seeking that food which is unto eternal life. And so we find that uh, the Lord Jesus gives them something to think about and it also causes our hearts also to think on these things, realizing that there are certain lessons to faith and that those lessons are embedded within the scriptures. They are those which God gives to us through the Word of God, that Jesus speaks of those things, and that we are to know that faith is truly, um, as much as we are told to seek it and to work the work of faith, God uses this in a way that he might prompt our hearts to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to believe upon him. And so let us look at the uh, first couple of verses here, uh, 22 to 24 actually. Uh, The day following when the people who stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there. Well, um, what does he mean by other side of the sea? Normally when we think of going other side, we think from one side to another. But uh, remember the Sea of Galilee was six miles wide and 16 miles long. And that these places that it was talking about, he's talking about here, Tiberius was on the western shore. And then we go to Genezareth, which is just above it. And then beyond that is Capernaum, and then beyond that, near the top of the lake, is uh, Bethsaida. So we find that all of these places are located, not across, as we would say, to go across, but to go from one point to another. And we use that kind of terminology a lot when we're going someplace, uh, going across the street or going up the road. Or we use these, these terminologies Uh, which uh, just gets us from one point to another and expresses a view. And that's all the writer means here, is that they just went from one area to another. And we know that the disciples, of course, went on boat. They they went on the small craft, and they went uh, to the upper section toward Capernaum. Um, Remember, Capernaum is where Jesus spent a lot of time. It was kind of a hometown for him in, in that respect. And that the the disciples went in that direction. And then Jesus followed them and met up with them along the way. As we know, as he walked on the water. Another interesting factor here is Jesus doesn't say anything about the miracle of the walking on the water, does he? It isn't mentioned at all. It seems to be like uh, just another circumstance that happens within the greater context of the events that occurred. And was primarily... Uh, viewed for the sake of the disciples and not for the multitude at all. And we find that uh, uh, these people who followed after Jesus, these were they who were seeking to know the Lord. They came seeking him, but they came seeking him for the wrong reason. And we find even today, people seek Jesus for the wrong reason. Uh, Many people want to be religious for some reason, and they will seek to know more about what it is to believe in Jesus or who Jesus is, and uh, they may account that he is a great prophet or a great teacher, they count him as a character in the Bible, they, they give many uh, kinds of uh, credits to him, but they seek him for the wrong reason. They may only seek him when they're in terrible danger of something happening to them. They may seek him when they're sick. They may seek him when they're in financial ruin. They might seek him when, when things are going bad. And, um, In other words, uh, they seek him for what they might somehow be satisfied with at the moment, to alleviate their situation. But to seek him as spiritual food as true food which should give them eternal life, they do not. And these, uh, this, this multitude of people did not either. We have to remember, too, that, that the disciples were learning the same lessons. As Jesus was teaching the, the multitude, so he had opportunity before his own disciples to teach them. And uh, we find that the personal nature of, of Jesus' relationship to the disciples was manifold. Uh, Remember the 12 baskets? There were 12 disciples. Remember that Jesus was walking upon the water. He wasn't walking on the water to the multitude. He was walking on the water to the disciples. Remember that uh, the Lord Jesus uh, was communicating his presence to his disciples. And so when he came into the boat, he found that uh, immediately the boat was then at land. And this also being a miracle of God. And so the testimony and the witness of Jesus to his own disciples was very personal. He was taking care of them. Uh, he was having a personal presence with them. He had a personal relations with them in their circumstances. And uh, he sought to uh, save them, as it were, or deliver them out of their circumstances, in this particular case, the wind that was uh, going to come down upon them and, uh, and destroy their boat, their little craft, and them in it. But Jesus was there as their deliverer. And so all these lessons of faith were beginning to, to come to uh, the disciples, and Jesus wanted to teach the multitude um, also as well, as he meant to tell them that he was the Christ and to demonstrate that he was truly the Son of God. And we have many lessons of faith that come to our lives too, and how that God means to teach us, and to minister to us. And we would do well to take account of those things when they come along, realizing that they are part of God's working in our lives. And so as we read on here in verse 23, Nevertheless there came other boats... From Tiberius. Now, remember, Tiberius was on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and it was below Capernaum. And uh, we find that uh, Tiberius was a city uh, which was named after Emperor Tiberius, and was kind of like the capital city in that particular region. And uh, we find that uh, uh, these people come from that quarter. Uh, And uh, so they're near unto the place where they did eat bread. And so that was the region where the miracle of the 5,000 was done. After the Lord had given thanks, and we're reminded of the blessing that God placed upon the bread, and how that he multiplied that, and how that the word of God became manifest uh, among them. Now, how many times has the word of God become manifest unto people and yet they have not realized that it was truly God and his works which were being accomplished in their presence? And this is important that we realize that God means to accomplish uh, great things in the populace of people, too. He doesn't just speak generally to the, the disciples at all times, Usually there is people, other people present here. So the Lord is speaking to the disciples. He is speaking to, to the other people as well. There's something called general revelation in the word of God where the, the, the teaching of the gospel is meant to go out universally to everyone. Uh, and it isn't, it isn't exclusive to any persons. No, it is the general revelation of the gospel goes out to everyone that they might hear the word of God. Now the special revelation of God is like Jesus teaching to his disciples. And the special revelation God touches the hearts of those that Christ would draw unto himself. As we heard this morning in John chapter 6 and verse 44 and 45, Jesus calls people unto the Father and he brings them unto the saving faith uh, in Jesus Christ. And so we recognize that, this, that the, the general revelation is more general to others, but the special revelation is to his own people, and so he did minister to them in this regard as well, and continues to do so even today, that this general revelation goes into all the world and ministers to all people, and the special revelation of God comes to the hearts of those who would believe Romans 116. And and so we find that uh, nevertheless there came other boats from Tiberias near into the place where they did eat bread after that the Lord had given thanks. In verse 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And so they came toward Capernaum, and coming to Capernaum they sought the Lord. And we find that uh, Jesus is later in the synagogue of Capernaum, and he is ministering to people. And in verse 59, it says, These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. John six fifty-nine. And so Jesus uh, sought out these places where he might minister, and where he might teach, and where he might instruct. Uh, the people, even the multitude, even the general the general revelation Jesus meant to give to people as well as that special revelation that he would give to his own. He says, you only seek me because you were filled. You only seek me because you were filled. As he spoke to them in his discourse there at Capernaum. And so in, in verse uh, 25 and uh, 26... And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou here? They, they did not realize, of course, when he came. Uh, the Lord uh, left uh, without their realizing it. Of course, He went across in that area toward the, the disciples who were in their small boats, and uh, He was not with the disciples. They knew He wasn't with the disciples, and now they question Him. When did you go? When did you When did you come here? Uh, they, they didn't know. In verse twenty six, uh, Jesus answered them and said, "Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw." The miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. notice that Jesus doesn't answer their question. We don't have to answer all the questions of the unsaved. We have to give them the message that is the, that is the true message of Christ and of salvation. I think sometimes we do get distracted that way, don't we? We think we have to answer all of their questions before we can tell them anything about the Lord. Or give them the gospel. And perhaps we should just do like Jesus did. Just go to the thing that is most important and tell them that. And never mind trying to answer their little uh, rabbit trails. Because that's usually where it takes you. It takes you off in a different direction. And you don't get back to where you want to be anyway. Uh, At least not as quickly. And, uh, and so Jesus didn't, didn't even try to answer that question about where he was. He didn't tell them he walked on the water to the disciples. He didn't tell them about he calmed the, the, the wind down and that he immediately brought them to land. He didn't tell them anything of that nature. Uh, he just goes directly to what is in the heart of man. Now here is another important um, situation for us you can go directly to the need of others. And you, you, you will know that as soon as you begin to talk to them. Um, and the need, of course, for these uh, that came seeking Jesus uh, was that uh, they were not seeking him for the right reason anyway. They were not seeking Jesus because um, they wanted the spiritual food unto everlasting life. They were, not seeking, they were not looking for that kind of information at all. They, they wanted another loaf of bread and another couple of fish. And, and that's all they wanted. And so they, they were looking for that king to lead them and to guide them. They were looking for that leader. They were looking for that uh, charismatic individual that would, that would build them up for the moment. Uh, a self-promotional type person Someone that would give them the power of positive thinking and uh, the good feeling for the moment. They were not looking for the spiritual food. And so Jesus says to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, which indicates that uh, he was truly the Son of God because only the Son of God can do miracles. Only God is capable of, of uh, performing a miracle that should feed 5,000 people. Plus. And uh, they were not seeking him for that reason. It's kind of like it didn't even register. Well, notice where the heart of man is. The heart of man is in his stomach. He's in all, he, the heart of man is in those things that satisfy him right here and now in his temporal life. That's where he wants his, his personal problems alleviated. He wants a savior who will, who will alleviate the personal problems of life. He does not want, man does not, does not want a savior who will save him unto eternal life. He wants to do that himself. Man wants to save himself. And we see that, of course, all the time uh, around us in the world today. You know, man wants a God who will provide um, a clothing barn so they can be fed, man wants a God, a God who will provide a, a food pantry so they can get food every week. Uh, man, man wants a, a God who will provide a, a stimulus package so that the government will send them another $1,400. Uh, that, that's what man wants. Um, he isn't thinking about the spiritual things. Uh, his, his, his need is to be fed and to be clothed and to be provided for, to have shelter, and that's what he's looking for. Uh, but Jesus says, "You seek me not for the miracle.'" You, don't, you do not seek me for the right reason. You do not seek me for the right reason. But because you did eat the loaves and were filled. And, and they were, that is the only reason they were seeking him. And of course it is a sad commentary upon the state of man that man is only interested in what goes into his belly. But, and, and what is temporal and what is material. Um, and and uh, those kinds of things. If uh, if God can can uh, give you a lottery ticket, a winning lottery ticket, uh, man will say, "Oh, praise God for that." But if um, if God should uh, put an obstacle in front of man and uh, get him to bow down upon his knees and pray that he may find true hope of salvation unto everlasting life, he is not as eager. And so, what can be done about this? except that we might tell them the truth, even as Jesus did. He did not tell them where he went or what he was doing. He told them the message that they needed to hear, that you need to seek me for the spiritual food and that hope which is unto eternal life, that which satisfies eternally. And, of course, that's what Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well also. He told her that... If you drink of the water that I will give unto you, it will be a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. And immediately she realized that this was an uncommon person, one that knew everything that ever I did, and that she ran immediately and left her water pots and told the villagers about such an individual who must be known as truly the Christ of God. That is the kind of message we need to give to people, that they might have the hope unto everlasting life. In verse twenty-seven, labor not for the food which perishes. And so, at the last item here that we're going to be looking at: labor not for the food unto labor for the food unto eternal life. He says, labor not for the food that perishes, but for that food which endureth unto everlasting life which the Son of Man shall give unto you for him hath God the Father sealed. So there's a couple of different things going on in this verse, of course. He is using food as a metaphor for spiritual life. He says you must seek the food which is unto spiritual life. They were seeking the food which is unto material life unto temporal life. But he says, don't seek that. Seek the food which is unto a spiritual life. And of course, he doesn't mean by this that they shouldn't eat meals and, and, uh, and be sustained. Um, we all need to eat a meal and to, uh, to drink water and to have the ordinary things. But remember, Jesus didn't come to tell them to, to eat their pita bread and to uh, catch the fish at the local lake. He didn't tell them to do that. That's not why the Christ came. The Christ of God came that he might redeem them from their sins. The Christ of God came that he might be known as the shepherd uh, that would re- that would uh, save his people from their sins. And that is the message of Christ and redemption is that we would tell them that hope of eternal life and that it is a food which they must seek after, but it is a spiritual food that would sustain them because it is of God and God alone. And so our hearts need to take in this food. um, In fact, that is why we are here. We take in the food of spiritual life that we might be sustained and that we might be kept unto the day of redemption and that we might continue so Because we know that we cannot just eat one meal, can we? Um, You can't even do that in the temporal, uh, mortal sense of just eat one meal and be satisfied forever. No, you have to keep eating. But we find here that Jesus points them to the spiritual food and tells them that they must seek this spiritual food that which endureth unto everlasting life. Then he says, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. Notice that it is given by Christ, by God, the Son, the Son of Man. That title, Son of Man, of course, has to do with his um, human uh, relationship to the Father, as he came as the incarnate Son of God into the world, he took upon himself human flesh. He is the incarnate of God. He is the Son of Man, Son of God. And the, so the Son of Man um, shall must give this unto you, he says, for him hath God the Father sealed. Now in what sense has God the Father sealed him? Well, we know at the time when he was baptized uh, under John the Baptist, uh, the the father sanctioned his relationship to the father. The father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. At the time of the transfiguration, something similar was also said. Hear ye him, Uh, pointing out that he was the son of God. God the Father sent him into the world for this very purpose, that he might fulfill the plan of redemption. God has sealed, he has placed his signet, he has placed his sign upon the Son of Man. And what sign did he reveal unto others but the very miracles which he did and the very word which he spoke. And it would ultimately end in the very life that he would give as the Son of Man that he would give his very life for others. And so he was sealed in that sense. The Father sealed him. He came to do the Father's will and to accomplish that which God the Father had sent him. Then said they unto him, verse 28, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? You see, man wants to do the work of God, but we find that man cannot do the work of God we find that uh, man is lost in his sin. Man is, is completely undone. That all his works of righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And that there is none righteous, no, not one. And uh, realizing this, that uh, that man is not able to do any kind of works that please God, uh, they e- even say that. They, they say, oh, what works that we might work the works of God. They, they did not know why. Well, they were already doing plenty of works anyway, weren't they? They, they, were, they were keepers of the law. They were under the Judaistic system. And their moral code was, uh, was one which was uh, full of things to do. They were doing plenty of works. And man likes to do works. Man wants to do works. Um, and uh, all you got to do is look at the various religions of the world, and you will find, based upon what the religion is, there's always works involved in it, with the, with the exception of the true Christian faith, which believes that works do not save. That works do not save. Not the works which man can do. And so Jesus uh, wants to clarify something here. He says in verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath set. Now, the terminology used is, is perhaps, in, in a sense, kind of pragmatic as we think about it. Meaning, Practical. Because we find that there is plenty of scripture which compels people to believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And verses of scripture which indicate to us that we ought to trust in God rather than in man. That we ought to have faith. That Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness sake. That Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because of his walk of righteousness. That Enoch walked with God and because he walked with God, he was translated, he was caught up unto heaven. That Elijah, while he was doing the very work of God at the end of his life, the chariots of fire came and took him away. God requires of us that we believe that he exists and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God requires us to do that. Is that a work? Well, it's an interesting thought as we think about it and, uh, and we have to uh, give some pondering to it. I'd like to read you a brief comment by John Calvin, if I may, on this. It, it is a little bit lengthy, but I'll... I'll try to summarize it as best I can. <clears throat> he says, For the work of God is this. They had spoken of works. Christ reminded them of one work, that is faith, by which he means that all men, that all that men undertake without faith is vain and useless. Well, James even talks about that. Show me your faith by faith. Your, without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. The sense that faith does show works. But when there is works without faith, it is, in, in a sense, no work. None that pleases God. And so he says, But that faith alone is sufficient, because this alone does God require from us, that we believe, for there is here an implied contrast between faith and works and efforts of men, as if he had said, men toil to no purpose when they endeavor to please God without faith, because by running, as it were, out of the course, they do not advance toward the goal. This is a remarkable passage showing that though men torment themselves wretchedly throughout their whole life, still they loose the very pains of their life, That is, they suffer pain if they have not faith in Christ as the rule of their life. So the more, it's like saying, the more that people try to work for their salvation, the more that they have a sense that they don't have it. That they're unworthy of it. That they can't accomplish it. It's like Luther uh, in his uh, closeted cell And he is suffering under the sense that uh, he wants to know God, he wants to have the righteousness of God by faith, and he's trying to do everything he can, but he realizes that it doesn't work. No matter how much he, he tries to impoverish himself, no matter how much he tries to, uh, in a sense, uh, whip himself up to it, and to work himself into a spiritual sense of knowing God, he can't do it. And so he co- finally comes to the conclusion that the righteousness of God is alone by faith. By faith. So this is a remarkable passage showing that though men torment themselves wretchedly throughout their whole life, still they loose their pains, they loose them upon themselves, as if they have not faith in Christ. Secondly, but we may think it strange that God approves of nothing but faith alone. For the love of our neighbor ought not to be despised. We're told to love our neighbor. We're told to love our enemies and the other exercises of religion do not lose their place of honor when one is praying when one is seeking to live for god when one is trying to live a righteous life or a godly life we we, we don't that isn't lost upon the sight of god uh, we find that job was a godly man a holy man and god knew that he was holy and god even pointed him out to the enemy of uh, our soul, Satan himself, and said, oh, did you take particular notice of my my righteous Job? (laughs) Over here. (laughs) So then, though faith may hold the highest rank, still other works are not without certain regard. The reply is easy, for faith does not exclude either the love of our neighbor or any other good work. Because it contains men, it contains them all within itself. Faith is called the only work of God. We have to think, think about that a little bit. Faith is called the only work of God." And uh, we see that here um, in this passage uh, where he talks about faith. He talks about faith, and uh, verse 28 and 29 then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus said unto them, this is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. He tells them to do this work. Believe. You see. Okay. Um, thirdly, uh, what is the important then, or the importance of the word believe? And... Uh, he mentions this. In chapter 3, of course, of John, um, he talks about uh, believing. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Uh, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Believing is part of what God requires of us. And so then he goes on to say, this is what uh, Calvin uh, talks about here. And he goes on to say this. It ought always to be remembered that in order to have full, a full perception of the power of faith, we must understand what Christ is, in whom we believe. In other words, he is, he is truly the Son of God, he is Christ, in whom we believe. And why he was given to us by the Father. It is idle sophistry under the pretext of this uh, passage to maintain that we are justified by works. And he says, that, no, that's not the case. It isn't that we are justified by works. If faith justifies because it is likewise called a work, first, it is plain enough that Christ does not speak with strict accuracy when he calls faith a work. In other words, it is a kind of metaphor for saying, you have to believe to be saved. Because without faith... One cannot be saved. You must have faith in God. And of course, you know, here is Calvin, who is supposed to be the epitome of the sovereignty of God in his doctrinal discourses, yet he himself even says that faith is a work in the sense that God means that we be compelled to turn to Christ. That we do believe, that we are compelled to do it. And so he says this First, it is plain enough that Christ does not speak with strict accuracy when he calls faith a work, just as Paul makes a comparison between the law of faith and the law of works in the book of Romans, in chapter 3, and verse 27. Secondly, when we affirm that men are not justified by works, we mean that works, by the merit of which men may obtain favor with God, now faith brings nothing to God, but on the contrary places man before God as an empty and poor individual, that he may be filled with Christ and with his grace. In other words, faith is a passive inactive work. It simply brings us before God that we might allow him to bring us into relationship to Christ. And so it is, a, in a sense, a spiritual work as opposed to a material work. It is a passive work, and it is one that even the disciples were required to exercise. We remember all too well Thomas, who said he would not believe until he had placed his fingers into the nail prints and his hand into the side of Jesus. And yet Jesus allowed him to do that, And Thomas did believe, he says, my Lord and my God. But we find that Jesus said to him, more blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Faith is a work of God in us. It is a spiritual work. And it is one that he wanted the people in the synagogue that he was speaking to, to know. It is one that we strive to tell other people. We we strive in our gospel to do that. We tell them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We employ them to come to Christ. We compassionately tell them of the love of God. A couple of Greek terms that one of the Um, college professors used to tell us in preaching class was that our messages ought to have ethos and pathos in them. Ethos is the word we get ethics from and relates to character. In other words the expression of our message must be a message of ethic. That we believe the very thing that we are saying. And that we want other people to believe it. And that our messages must have pathos in them, must have emotion in them. Because that emotional part of our message expresses the very heart of our feeling. And so these things... Jesus even expressed to his the people that he was talking to. His character was that he was the Son of God. His ethic was that he had been sent as the Son of Man to save sinners. That he was doing the will of the Father. That he would go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. His passion is that he would shed blood great drops of blood upon the ground in Gethsemane, and that he would go to the cross, and he would cry out to the Father, It is finished. And he would plead with the sinner beside of him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And he meant to give this message to not only the people in a very general sense, That they might know who he was, but in a special way to his own disciples, that they might realize who he truly was as the Son of God. This is the spiritual food that we are to feed upon and to know him who is our true Lord and Savior, the one who has come to redeem us from our sins. These are the kinds of lessons of faith that are so basic to the gospel that we dare not forget them because it is that by which we compel people to come to Christ. Though we have the best theology in the world, if we do not compel them after the message which God gives to us, the gospel message which is unto salvation, including what it means to have faith in God and that we are compelled to believe and that it is a work of God which Christ would have us to know and that we must respond in kind. If we forget any of that, our theology will not only be dead, but we will not save anyone. And so let us remember the lessons of faith. And Jesus goes on, of course to say, as, he, as we go into the next portion of here, that he is the bread. He is that bread of life. He is that manner. He is that which is unto eternal life. The spiritual food that he wanted others to partake of was himself. Shall we look to the Lord in prayer? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word this day and ask, Lord, that you will impress us greatly with this spiritual food and this work of God, which is by faith, and this which you accomplish in the hearts of lives that you purpose to do a work in. And we praise you, our Father, and thank you for the blessings that you give and for this food which you have given for, to us that we might continually enjoy and feast upon, knowing that it is that food unto everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.